Hey, this is Josh Liebman, co-host of the Attraction Pros podcast, and you are listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Damn, you've got a good radio voice. <laughs> Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now, your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to this bonus edition of Manufacturing Happy Hour. This episode is basically a continuation of episode 17, where I spoke with Josh Liebman about lessons that manufacturers can learn from the attractions industry. Just for context, if you've skipped ahead to this episode, Josh Liebman is a consultant in the amusement industry and the co-host of the Attraction Pros podcast. So in that episode, we were really talking about what lessons manufacturers can take from amusement parks when it comes to operations and guest or, as we should say, customer experience. And since we were trying to keep the conversation as constructive as possible, we didn't geek out too much about roller coasters. We did a little bit, but we knew there'd be plenty of roller coaster banter that we could go on and on about. So we recorded this bonus episode as a bit of a round two to really nerd out about roller coasters. I want to be clear with you up front. There is not really any constructive information for manufacturers in this episode, but there will be plenty of actionable information if you are looking for tips for your next vacation. If what I just said doesn't appeal to you, well, maybe the best thing to do is send this to a roller coaster lover in your life because I think they're going to dig this episode. Right after Josh and I finished the first half of our discussion, I heard Josh crack his second beer and I knew we were in for a good time. We discuss our respective roller coaster trips that have taken us to different parts of the world to ride some of the craziest coasters on the planet. We talk about some of our favorite parks, underrated rides, and of course at the end, we will tell you our favorite roller coasters of all time. If you'd like to connect with Josh, make sure to subscribe to his podcast, Attraction Pros, or follow him on Twitter at Attraction Pros or through his personal handle, Joshua underscore Liebman. That's seven letters L I E B M A N. Or you can head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 17 to access ways to connect and, more importantly, all of the rides and parks that we name drop throughout this episode and share some of our personal stories around. If you're a regular listener of Manufacturing Happy Hour or you're just tuning into this episode and you love what you're hearing, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts. You can do that by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. I'm going to try to keep this intro short because we have a lot of ground to cover when it comes to some of the world's best roller coasters. Lower that lap bar. It's time to launch into this episode. All right, party time. Well, that was that was a great. Oh, what's the right way to say it? That is the first time we've ever done kind of an industry to industry parallel on this show, and that was a lot of fun. 
but uh, we're going to have even more fun now because we're just going to riff about roller coasters at this point. Well, this is so, really where the real fun starts. This is why I came on your podcast. Yeah. I, I, I figured this might be part of it. So for those of you listening, this is a bonus episode to uh, the one we just recorded with Josh around parallels between uh, manufacturing operations and guest experience versus the amusement industry. Um, but in this case, we got to kick off with, uh, let's have some fun to start this off. I've got a couple categories we can talk about, but Josh, I'd love to hear from you about like one of your best roller coaster memories, whether it's a funny story or just a, an, a moment that really sticks out. And I will share one as well, but I want you to kick these off. Sure. So I, I will tell you this. I want to preface this by, you know, you, you sent me this list of questions that, that were all pretty straightforward questions. And, uh, and there were some of them that, you know, there's just so many that come to mind. I, and and mm -hmm. them. I mean, the amount of, you know, uh, favorite coaster memories, I, I shared one in our previous conversation of, you know, my, my first coaster experience of riding junior Gemini, then Gemini, and then working up the courage to ride corkscrew several years later. I, you know, there's there's several others that come to mind here, but I'll I'll go with with one right here, and uh, and it was the first time I rode Revenge of the Mummy at Universal Studios, Florida, mm. particularly in Orlando. Um, uh, the one in Hollywood is great too. Uh, rode that you know several years after I rode uh, Mummy in Orlando, but the reason why it sticks out is because when I you know developed an interest in roller coasters it was very much because of the thrill aspect of it so people would say like well then didn't that ride scare you you know is this ride scary and i remember being like you know scary is very you know subjective you know it's it's thrilling it's exhilarating there's the adrenaline you know i i and that's what i live for right and that's why you know i, I fell in love with this um the first time i rode mummy i had no idea what to expect because uh, for those who might not be familiar, uh, it is completely indoors. Um, it took over the building that once housed Kong Confrontation, the King Kong attraction at, at Universal. Um, and there's, you know, you, you can't see any of it until you're actually on it. Mm -hmm. There's elements of surprise on it. There's, um, there's, a, I mean, the, the scenery, the theming that's on it, the audio, you know, the visuals, uh, it, it really captures all five sense, senses. Uh, I later learned about it when I was like in VIP tour training at Universal. I, I learned about like the actual kind of psychology of it, and uh, and you know the the creative directors wanted to tap into many fears that people have and be able to implement that into the ride. Um, and then the ride itself is is incredible. It's it's regularly ranked uh, one of the top five coasters in the world. Uh, one of the top five steel coasters in the world, which is really impressive because it opened in 2004, I think. 2000, mm. Yeah, 2004. And, and, and I haven't personally ridden enough of those immersive rides. I've ridden, you know, I'd say like these are more visual based, but like the Spider-Man ride at Universal, I've sure. been on that, like things that, and the Harry Potter ride, I think is a great example of something that's a real immersive experience right. also. But the mummy is one revenge of the mummy. I've seen it pop up recently, have not even really dove in to see what that ride is like yet. So you haven't been on it? I have not been on that one. Okay. No, I'm, I'm, I'm so I, I was, I was, I, I'm actually a little surprised. The first one you brought up was one I have not been on. So I've, I've gotten my fair share of them from around the world, but, but keep going. <laughs> I won't, I won't give you a spoiler on it, but I'll, but I'll just, okay. the reason why this came to mind as one of the top coaster memories that I have, um, is that I, I got off the ride 
And I remember thinking, wow, that thrilled me and it scared me. Like there were elements of that ride that were absolutely terrifying because I had no idea what was going on. Um, And so it's, it's just so well done from that standpoint. Uh, Now, I mean, I've probably ridden it over a hundred times now and, and now I, I like, you know, I, I speak along as Emotep is speaking and like, you know, I, I know sure. <laughs> with the lights on. I know all the, the tributes to King Kong that are in the building. And and frankly, that doesn't diminish from my enjoyment for the ride. Uh, it, it only actually, I would say, amplifies that of, of you know, it, it doesn't ruin the magic when you know the secrets. It kind of makes it even more special, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. But that first time I wrote it, I just remember getting off being like, what the hell just happened? i think that's the mark of a good ride like that because for me i mean there's so many i'm probably forgetting to talk about like the number one or number two but top thrill dragster first time that i was on that that is that's my memory that sticks out because for those of you that don't know top thrill dragster it's at cedar point which we've uh talked about um quite a bit already um but it is just i mean when you say you get off the ride and you're like what just happened like that's one of those rides that does that to you because it just shoots you out at 100 miles an hour you twist straight up you know for i think it's like 400 feet up am i making that up yeah four four twenty and then you go and then you go over this little hump and then you go four twenty straight back down and the ride's done but I think part, so one of the things that makes it memorable is it was a challenging guest experience day at Cedar Point. It was like, it was like perfect. It was like perfect weather on a Saturday in October. And like, I think we, that's when they hit attendance records. They closed off the parking lot that day. That's yeah. Yeah. So that, that all happened that day. Like we were lucky that we got there early. So we got on a couple rides pretty quickly, but you know, between, after Magnum XL 200, like we waited a long time for Maverick and then we waited for at least two something hours for a uh, top thrill dragster. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, what, all things considered, not that terrible. And I think this might have been right around the time or just slightly before the park started initiating, like skip the line passes okay. and things like that, which I think has cre- made a more additive situation of that. But I think the reward of getting on top thrill dragster just after that long of a period of time and 2010 i started riding roller coasters in like the late 90s basically so 2010 i'd been on a few rides before then but to still to be in your 20s at that point and have the magic of a ride just be like what the hell just happened when you get blasted go straight up straight down and the ride's over before you really know anything that's gone on the whole time that that's one of my recent memories that jumps out do you remember what specifically was going through your head um, the the instant that that launch just ignited? Yes, because we had we were going to try to do a funny photo as you try to do on any roller coasters. You try to stage the photo and someone was going to act like they were checking the time and someone was going to lean over on their shoulder and like check the time. When we got the photo back, the photo was outrageous, but only one person out of the four of us managed to like do anything to pose for the photo because the rest of us were just like what's going on right now we're going 100 miles an hour i mean it's just it's a crazy ride it's it is 100 worth a two plus hour wait to say the least so funny story um i was in the <laughs> front row of the very first public ride on top thrill dragster the day it opened 
Of course you were. Right. Of course you were. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, that shouldn't surprise anyone. Um, <laughs> was, uh, was at the, the Magnum Gate, which, by the way, is like a satellite gate for the park, mm-hmm. uh, closest to the entrance of Dragster. Was there, I think, at like 5.45 in the morning. Uh, the park opened at, park officially opened at 10, I assume. And I think we, we were let in at 8. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe nine, whatever it was. Uh, but uh, but I'll I'll tell you uh, another thing too is that from a ride operation standpoint, there is nothing more exhilarating than sitting in the launch booth and hitting that button. Yeah, that's got to be cool. I've uh, the the folks that run the Superman ride at uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot of fun with that launch, and I I went there for the first time maybe two three years ago. That had always been a bucket list park, but growing up in the Midwest and then traveling out east for most vacations, like I was mostly Northeast East Coast, which is not a bad spot for roller coasters, but you don't hit some spots like Disneyland and Magic Mountain. Um, but anyway, they'll they'll do a countdown before they launch. It's like, all right, I got three rules before we launch. Rule number one, and then they hit the launch. <laughs> Just stuff like that to really mess with you before uh, they shoot you a hundred miles an hour going backwards. There you go. Um, there you go. So, all right. Well, that took us like ten minutes to get to the uh, get through that first that question, expected. which is what I fully expected. Fully expected. Thank goodness we have another beer for this. Um, <laughs> Favorite type of roller coaster is what I want to hear next, because people know, I think most people that are taking the time to listen to this episode know that there are wooden roller coasters, steel coasters, and then a whole genre of other roller coasters within those as well. Suspended, um, hyper, looping, whatever whatever it is. So is there one that jumps out for you that's just a favorite style that you've always liked? Sure. So, you know, I'll, I'll have to speak to this completely wearing my enthusiast hat here, because uh, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I, I love all manufacturers. They're they're all amazing. They're run by phenomenal, passionate, um, wonderful people. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so now that that that's out of the way, uh, you know the the Intamin uh, Giga coasters, I would say, mm. are some of the the best designed. Um, they're they're smooth, but not so smooth that it's you know sitting on your couch. Um, and the I mean, just the the degrees of those bank turns and the you know the floater airtime the ejector airtime everything with that um just makes for a phenomenal experience the pacing is amazing Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. i do want to follow it up by saying uh rocky mountain construction over the last nine years nine ten years has been doing an amazing job of of the the Coasters that they have built outright and the ones that they have uh, rehabbed as well from the, the wooden coasters that they've taken over and frankly saved from a, from a guest experience standpoint and, and from a, you know, a, a park standpoint too, a, you know, a, a maintenance standpoint and, and all that, yeah. the, the experience that, that they deliver are, are incredible. Two great examples, and for context, um, so Giga Coasters, Intamin Giga Coasters specifically, over 300 feet, correct? That's what qualifies it for a Giga versus a Hyper Coaster, which is over 200 feet. Not to be confused with the Strata Coaster, which is what Top Thrill Dragster is, over 400 feet. I did not know what that was, but I'm glad I got another definition under my belt. This is this is why I'm learning. On and this and frankly, Peter Point uh, coined um, each of those terms, Hyper Coaster, because Magnum was the first. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, the first Giga and Dragster was the first Strata. 
That makes a lot of sense. And and Rocky Mountain Coasters, um, for coaster or for context as well, um, is really, you know, you mentioned new and retrofitted. They I'd say what they're most known for is taking these big wooden roller coasters, older wooden roller coasters, and retrofitting them into these wild, like hybrid wooden steel coasters that flip you upside down in ways other roller coasters haven't before. So two great examples. I like that you answered with manufacturers as well too, because that was how I was gonna I was gonna approach it. I'm gonna give a shout out to one more and I'm sure this is one that's near and dear to your heart as well. Um Bolliger and Mabillard are pro- I mean just everything that group has done, um they are for for the roller coaster layman out there or someone that's a novice that's listening to this whatever whatever the right term is for the casual roller coaster fan things like batman the ride um those inverted roller coasters where you're below the track um but you know wing coasters hype they have their own hyper coasters as well just a lot of creative things they've done and it's just the smoothness and the epicness i think they were in my mind the first manufacturer to really take steel roller coasters to another level where they were smooth and they were extreme i think of kumba down at bush gardens tampa florida is still one of my favorite rides of all time yeah and it's it built was built in like 93 like it's been around for a long time pretty close to 30 years old and it's i mean it it runs the the day it did when it opened uh yeah so yeah you make a good point that they're both smooth and extreme i mean they they throw some Mm viewpoints at you so um for for those for those listening, basically, generally, anytime you're sitting four across, for the most part, you're in a B and M coaster, uh, and they've they've gone even further. Shikra is eight across. Griffin is ten across. Talk about a yeah. fantasy, you know, and, and loading. There's only three rows on each of them, but you know, 30 yeah. And I think, man, we keep talking about Cedar Point, but there that's where I rode my first B&Ms. I rode Raptor. You mentioned that in the last episode, that inverted roller coaster there. And uh, Mantis, I think, was one of the newer rides in the park. The first time I went. Mantis. Yes. So Mantis used to be a stand-up roller coaster that has been retrofitted as a floorless roller coaster where you're above the track, but your feet are still dangling, called, uh, how do you pronounce it? It's Rougarou, I think. Rougarou is what I thought too. It's like, I I don't exactly know what a Rougarou is. Um, but no either. That, but, the, but the park started uh, selling Ruga Brew at the near the ride. So, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why you mentioned it in the last episode. Um, Led Zeppelin, the ride, a Bolliger and Mabillard, uh, sit down roller coaster, also. I think that's why it's so heartbreaking that that doesn't exist anymore. Cause my favorite, my three favorite things in the world are rock and roll roller coasters and craft beer. So if I could go on that ride and get a nice cold beer afterwards, like, you know, heaven has some competition at that point. Cause I might have already just found it right there. Yeah. I have some friends in a, in a similar dynamic that I, I feel bad for them. Cause I always say, you know, my biggest regret was not getting to hard rock park. It's like, how, you know, how would you have known, you know, there was, I mean, hard rock park, you know, it's, uh, if you didn't listen to the last episode, I hope you did, but it's a, it was a short lived park that basically only had one, technically two seasons, but it got bought yeah. and by someone else, but it was a music themed amusement park that, Honestly, you know, aside from some publicity issues, it opened at basically the worst time in the world. Yeah. Like the economy literally dropped out right before it opened. Yeah, you know, not over four dollars a gallon that summer. Yeah. 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 I mean, not not too unlike right now. Literally the worst time for like a restaurant in the world to open is we're recording this in April. I'm sorry. It's May. It's May. I, don't, I, I mean, there's no concept of time anymore. <laughs> it's here in 2020, but May 2020. Um, but rather than getting down a coronavirus rat hole. 
My next question for you is I'd love to hear about a memorable roller coaster trip. All right. Where you went with the explicit purpose of riding just a ton of rides. <laughs> well, I've, I've got one. And uh, this is going to tie in um, with the appreciation and, and frankly, the, the context that we gave, gave as far as Rocky Mountain construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, their first, I, I believe one of their first major projects um, was Texas Giant at Six Flags Over Texas in Dallas. Um, an, an iconic wooden roller coaster that absolutely, um, uh, you know, it was classic for, for many years and they took the risk of completely retrofitting the track of, of basically, they, they didn't make too many crazy changes to it, uh, but they overlaid it with a new, basically steel based track essentially. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Texas giant was then renamed new Texas giant. Yeah. So this could have been more clever, but okay, whatever. Morning, <laughs> did you, did you ever ride the old Texas giant? just out of curiosity. Did not. Did not. You, no. you didn't miss out on anything. I rode that in 2008 and it was a miserable experience. Well, Talk I, about a ride that beat the heck out of you. I rode Moon Streak several times though at Cedar Point and, uh, it, take and, it up one more level and after, one more level. I was going to say after riding new Texas giant, which I'll tell you that story in a second, I got off, said, all right, Mean Streak, you're next. Yeah. So this was the summer of 2011. I was living in Orlando and, uh, and a few buddies of mine and I, we decided, we said, Hey, let's go to Dallas and let's, let's just go take a trip to ride new Texas giant. Like, it's like, let's literally go from Orlando to Dallas to ride a roller coaster. Like seems, seems like a pretty logical choice, right? I'm on board. I would have (laughs) come, but we're looking at flights. We're like, all right, Orlando, Dallas, you know, couple hundred bucks, 250, whatever it is. And we're like, you know what? We could probably save some money. You know, let's just take like an extra day off of work on either end. Let's, let's just drive. And we're like, all right, we're driving from Orlando to Dallas. We start planning the trip and we're like, well, I mean, if we're going to go to Dallas, we're going to go to Six Flags. Like they're, you know, we, we might as well just get a season pass because it, it makes the most sense. We'll just stop into San Antonio and we'll go to Fiesta, Texas too. And we're like, yeah. And I was like, and we all have SeaWorld passes, so we'll go to SeaWorld too. And, and so this conversation I uh, just continued to expand of, all right, well, if we're going to go here, like we might as well go here. Like this other place is only 50 miles out of the way. Oh, well, if we go there, this other place is only two hours out of the way. Ultimately, we ended up taking, uh, we took over a week off of work, <laughs> all of us, and we did 11 parks in eight days, we uh, we left Orlando on a Thursday after work, and since we we all now had Six Flags passes, we went to we went to Atlanta. So we we did Six Flags over Georgia, and we were all you know, we're all in the industry. We were we were all very uh, I'd say militant and efficient. I would say, yeah, you know, yeah. You 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 knew how to operate your way around a park. We were we were four like twenty two, twenty three year old guys, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. With like without anybody else with us, we're like exactly. Right, we're we're all mission driven, if you will. Like we're mm-hmm. all on the same page, um, which is the only way we we would have been able to accomplish this. Wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. Uh, so we, we end up doing uh, Six Flags over Georgia. We then drive north. We go to Lake Winnipesuka. Beautiful, charming little park, just just a little south of the Tennessee border, still in Georgia. Okay. Uh, we keep going, and then the next day we end up at Holiday World, 
because now we're in Indiana. Why not? How'd, how'd you skip Dollywood along the way? Did you Dollywood guys just been there before? In, uh, further east. Oh, okay, it was we off. It was off the path a little on, bit. Got it. Yeah, we had just done that on what we thought was an incredibly epic trip two years prior to that, where we did five parks in five days, uh, including Cedar Point, Kings Island. Uh, what else? We? we did Kennywood. We did Waldemere. Yeah. We did, yeah. <laughs> also aggressive. Also yeah. very aggressive. Those five days, right? All in my Honda Pilot, by the way. Um, okay, so so Six Flags over Georgia, Lake Winnipesuka, Holiday World. We then kick off for St. Louis. So we go Six Flags. Um, we then go to worlds of fun over in, uh, Kansas city. We then drive South to Branson. We hit up silver dollar city. Then we goof around in, in Branson and just, you know, played mini golf and ate at some really tacky restaurants and, you know, you need, you need a break. You need a break after that many. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, but then the next day, I don't know, the, the drive from Branson to Dallas is eight hours. So now six flags over Texas is now the seventh park <laughs> that we're visiting on this trip. Wow. And uh, and we, we hit up Dallas. We, we knock out the entire park. We get a few rides on, on New Texas Giant. We're like, this is absolutely incredible. We take pictures with big Texas cowboy hats. Uh, we then drive south to – we get In-N-Out Burger. We get at the easternmost In-N-Out Burger in, yeah. in Dallas. Yeah. At the time, I think Houston has some oh, now. So they, they, they continue to expand to some of these metro areas, but also a, an important stop as someone from California. I can right. confidently say yeah. that. And I was like, well, we're crossing the Mississippi. Like, well, I don't know. So, so that's seven. We drive down to San Antonio. We go to SeaWorld, Six Flags, and Schlitterbahn mm. Water Park in New Braunfels. Does it have any roller coasters there? Or did you just need to cool off at that? Has the at that Master point? Blaster water coaster? All right, that counts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's also it's a, it's a classic water park. Actually. It's it, it is a big deal as far as water parks go. That yeah. Noah's Ark up in Wisconsin are the ones that I hear people raving about all the yeah. time. It, it was one that had been on on my personal list for a while, and I was glad we were able to work it in. Their uh, their Lazy River. You come to a point in the Lazy River where you can go right. And continue in the lazy river, and you're still in the park. Um, or you can go left, and you can dump out into the Guadalupe River and just be in a real river now. And now you're just mm-hmm. um, so that was ten. And then we drove over to Houston, and we hit Kima Boardwalk. Um, oh yeah, yeah, like the Great White or some shark coaster over there. I forget yeah. what that one's called. Why am I blanking on the name? The Boardwalk Bullet. Is it called the Boardwalk Bullet now? Huh. I thought it was a different name. Maybe they add. I can't remember. Oh, they might have added it later. They might have added it later. There's like a pretty cool looping roller coaster they have there now. I used to live in Houston from 2011 to 2015. Okay. Oh, gotcha. All right. So so these parks you're mentioning, I made my way to SeaWorld. I made my way to Fiesta, Texas, and I had been to – uh, Six Flags over Texas before, so yeah. all good spots. So we, we do spots. that, and that's our 11th park. Now it's Friday again, so this is from Friday to Friday. We're like, well, now we got to go home. So we stopped in New Orleans. None of us had been to New Orleans before. Um, and then did, we, uh, did you take pictures at that abandoned Six Flags that sure, they have? There? Actually, I was going to say, I'm like, I'm like, this, uh, normally a normal human being wouldn't do this, but I'm like. <laughs> That strikes me as someone that would have gone out of his way to check out probably the world's most famous abandoned amusement park. It's been in so many movies now. It's unbelievable. Right, right. Uh, so it was basically like, like, okay, this is our fifth Six Flags park, um, you know, as we're, as we're going home. And then we, you know, we stopped in Pensacola 
for a night, stayed at the, the Margaritaville Resort, and we drove back to Orlando the next day. Uh, so we, we hit 11 parks in eight days, all because we wanted to go ride one roller coaster. I don't know if that's impressing, impressive or, or depressing, but one or the other, we did it. <laughs> Here, here's, here's my answer to that. One, I'm impressed. And two, anyone that's made it this far in the conversation, I'm sure is also impressed. So we're in, we're in <laughs> good company right now. One or the other. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give you a slightly shorter answer because I've never done a trip specifically around roller coasters that epic before. I will say two trips I am proud of, though. These will be quick. Um, the first time I went backpacking around Europe, I've done a lot of backpacking around Asia, Europe, South America over the past decade. Um, the first time I went to Europe, which was actually almost a, uh, exactly a decade ago, um, I specifically worked in some of the classic amusement parks over there. So um, I went to Blackpool Pleasure Beach, Love rode it. the Pepsi Max big one. Um, I think you've been to all of these too. Uh, <laughs> when I was uh, when I was down in Spain, a roller coaster, we mentioned Kumba by Bolliger and Mabillard, the first roller coaster with eight inversions uh, is located at Port Aventura right outside of Barcelona. So that had been a bucket list ride since I was a kid, first getting into roller coasters. So it was cool to check that out. And then, uh, in my opinion, the best amusement park in the world, Alton Towers, ah. in I forget what part of England it's in, but it's just kind of it's right in, the, in Stoke on Trent. In the- Stoke on Trent. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I knew it was one of those Stoke on areas. Um, but yeah, Stoke on Trent, just a really woodsy, beautiful part in the middle of England. And what um, I love about it is that. We, we talked about this when we were first getting to know one another. It's a park where you're not allowed to build above the tree line because it's like it's a beautiful area. There are gardens. There's a castle, like a legitimate, authentic yeah, castle. Right, we're not talking. Right. We're not talking Disney. Like it's a legitimate castle. castle in the middle of the park, which you can just go walk around. Like it's, it's so cool. It's so cool. Like that would never fly in the United States. Yeah. But yeah, a legit old castle in the middle of the park. But the fact that you can only build coasters to the tree line makes them the most creative roller coaster in the world because you got to dig trenches you got to keep it um you got to keep it low but there's no reason you have to sacrifice thrills for height Um, you can you can still find a way to make them awesome nemesis um another bolligard mabillard roller coaster is probably my favorite inverted roller coaster on the planet just based on the the pacing the intensity of a ride that does so much with so little yeah, and then uh, and then Oblivion, another uh, B and M, one of their first. I think that's right. I think it is their first eight across drop roller coaster, which uh, is is so amazing because it, it it is aptly named that you just plunge into darkness because the ride itself it, it has a a, a very a, a pretty substantial drop, but mm-hmm. not very tall because it you know it's, it's underground, so you just go well, through a smoky tunnel. Exactly. It's pretty cool. I mean, like, like, like we were saying earlier, they just get creative with what they have. It's about being creative with the circumstances and they're, I mean, most other parks would just build taller, faster, but they're like, well, we can't necessarily do that. So let's just find a way to make this really unique. So we'll drop you into a hole that's just pitch black and then you're underground for a little while. It's like pretty neat. The most beautiful park in the entire world. Will you give me one second? My laptop's about to die. I'm just going to grab my charger. Take your time. I'm back. All right, I'll let you get plugged in. We uh, our our next. Uh, I I do have another uh another quick one to add. Yeah. Um, before we get into 
just uh, three more, but these will be quick ones. Actually, they won't be quick. We've talked about <laughs> all of these for ten minutes, but well, I know I know how I know how much time to book for our conversations in the future. Exactly. <laughs> the other one I was going to say, and this is your old stomping grounds down in Florida, is I used to work. My first job was with Anheuser Busch, working as an engineer with them. Okay. And this was circa two thousand seven when they still owned the amusement parks and you get free amusement park passes. So I was in college at this point. I would have been a junior in college and my sophomore year roommate was from Boca Raton. Okay. And he we'd both been doing I'd been doing a semester doing an engineering co-op. He'd been in DC, so we hadn't seen one another for like a solid like seven months. So I called him up, I'm like Yo, Pete, like I've got these free amusement park passes for SeaWorld and Bush Gardens Tampa and, you know, Universal Islands of Adventure is there. Do you want to go to two free parks and just pay the, you know, re remaining price to knock out the other one? We'll do three parks, two days. And he's like, yeah, totally on board. So did like a good road trip, yeah, hit, <laughs> hit, hit, hit some of those great, like, I mean, Bush Gardens, Tampa, we talked about them, Kumba, Montu, Killer Rides. Um, this is back in 2000, uh, yeah, 2007. So not everything that they have now is there, but Hulk was still at, uh, or Hulk, Hulk to this day is still at Universal Islands of Adventure. They, they also had the, you know, that's right. They did rebuild it. How has that impacted the ride at all or a little bit of a smoother experience? Yeah. Okay. All right. Never. Um, but dueling dragons or dragon challenge, as it used to be called an inverted roller coaster where you had two different tracks going at once. So it looked like you were going to collide with the other car, at least on a few different occasions on that ride. Rest in peace. But it has been replaced with another really good ride. What's the name of that one? Hagrid's Hagrid's. Um, wow. I, I actually don't even know the full name of it. Uh, there's definitely motorbike and magical creatures in it. Yeah. In the name. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's a great anyway, by the way, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It, it looks great. I've heard, I've heard great things. And uh, anyway, we did that and then Kraken at SeaWorld. We rode that probably like five times that, uh, that day. So good trip, good compact experience. So those are, I gave you two answers for that one in terms of two of my more memorable trips, but I could give you more too, but you know, <laughs> well, we, I, I, well, I think you might get to talk to some of these and some of these next questions. I want to hear what you feel is the most underrated roller coaster. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm glad you sent me these questions in advance. Cause this was one I was thinking of and my mind went the other way that as you know, not only a, a professional within the industry, but as an enthusiast, I'm very much a snob. So I first just started thinking of overrated coasters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we, we don't need to go down that. But. I was going to say, we, we will keep it positive today. Yeah. yeah. Um, from an underrated standpoint, and actually, let's go back to Alton Towers for a second. And uh, this is, I, I couldn't think of one specific one, but a particular model, the Spinning Mouse rides that are built by, and I'm probably going to butcher the name, Marcusson. Uh, mm -hmm. based, you know, they're, they're German manufactured and company. So uh, most people call it like Malherson, but I think it's like Malherson, Malherson, whatever. I have no idea how to pronounce it either. So your your guess is as good as mine. They're, uh, they're spinning mouth rides and Sonic at Alton Towers uh, falls yeah. in that category are some of the most, uh, I would say, incredible experiences that are more than meets the eye. So if you want mm. to consider that underrated, I think it, it falls into that because they're definitely like a family style coaster mm -hmm. because it's, you know, with the classic like wild mouse rides, 
uh, you know, there's not a lot of banking. There's a lot of, there's a lot of jerking kind of like on, on the older ones. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a lot of the same thing, kind of like that, that back and forth, uh, on these though, like the, the turns are actually curved and they're banked. Um, and the ride vehicle itself is spinning while you're on it. That's providing for a, not only more intense, but more thrilling and exciting experience than the traditional wild mouse coasters. So that's, yeah, that's I, my answer. <laughs> I, I love that you brought that up because that, you know, I wasn't expecting you to bring that up, but you're right. Those are very underrated rides. Typically, I think most hardcore roller coaster enthusiasts will go out of their way to ride them, but it's just kind of like, oh, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I should ride this ride. But it, I mean, they don't take up much space, really compact, really cheap to build relative to other, yeah. you know, multi-million dollar roller coasters. And they're um, they, a lot of them have a rotating platform too. So they're constantly loading and, you know, and, and yeah, they're, they're very good operationally. I was going to say, that's where your experience comes into play. Most other people wouldn't, wouldn't think about that right off the bat. I mentioned this to you when we last talked, but my vote for underrated roller coaster goes to Raging Bull okay. at Six Flags Great America uh, in Gurney, Illinois, halfway between Milwaukee and Chicago. And the reason I give that one credit is because it's another Bolliger and Mabillard roller coaster for Cross, but it's one of their hyper coasters. And in general, their hyper coasters aren't my favorite. Most of them are out and back. Yeah. But this one's a twister. Like, and I think, and, and it's the, as far as I know, it's really the only one they have where it's a pretty spaghetti bowl type format. Some great drops, some great airtime. It's a great looking roller coaster as well, just in the way it weaves together. And an experience that I haven't gotten anywhere else. And I think that's a reason that that one easily makes my top 10 roller coasters globally since you're you're not anytime you can get uniqueness over a wild experience i would say because it's still a great ride great pacing in my opinion um it could could have a little bit more airtime, but you know if you're in the top 10 i'm not i'm not worried about pointing out anything that could be better about it it's just it's a cool roller coaster that surprisingly they haven't done many more like that do you know many others that are along those lines um by Bolliger and Mabillard. Yeah, I was going to say it's it's very much uh, you know held up the test of time, and uh, you know your your comment there of you know that you're not too big of a fan of B and M hypers. I, I want to unpack that for a second actually because this <laughs> was kind of where my mind went. Not to say I you know I, I don't want to say that they're they're overrated, but my opinion about them uh, from from the enthusiast standpoint has always been you know what they. They do what they need to do. They are beautiful. I mean, B and M, like, like th- those aren't just roller coasters. I mean, that that's art. You know, like, right? I mean, they they just mm-hmm. look good, right? Wherever they are, they're you know they're they're fantastic. They're very appealing. And when I say they do what they need to do, is they 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 spin turnstiles, right? They yeah. get the general public, the non coaster enthusiasts, very excited about them, and that's why they're very successful. When you look at it from the enthusiast standpoint, you say, okay, it's it's very tall, it's very fast, you know, for the majority of them. Um, but a lot of them don't have uh, as substantial of G-forces as per se, you know, like the, I mean, the old Arrow Hypers. I mean, you talk about Magnum. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like only for enthusiasts to you know, yeah. that point. Uh, or, or, you know, we talk about like the Intamin Giga coasters, like, that I think finds a really good balance between, you know, the enthusiasts really like it because it provides a lot of good floater airtime, a lot of great speed, a lot of pacing, 
uh, and they're massive structures that just, you know, they're, that they're intimidating, right? So like the hypers, like, you know, they, if you notice, like in most parks, they're, they're built along the edge of the park, especially if they're on a highway, Mm -hmm. they're, they're there very much to bring in attendance, which you can, you can see them from a long way away, which is, which is fantastic, you know, from a Mm -hmm. standpoint. Um, for those who are, you know, like the, the extreme coaster enthusiasts might not see as much value in them from a ridership standpoint, because they're, they're almost too smooth. You know, their, their arcs are almost too, uh, they're too stretched out, right. Versus, versus being a little bit more condensed on some of them. But, uh, but Raging Bull, I would say out of all the BNO hypers is one of the more intense ones in a, in a good way. Diamondback is another great one too. I'd say at Kings Island. Diamond Diamondback is fun. That's another example though, where I was having a tough guest experience day where the lines were long, the fast passes were well in play and it just took a long time to get on that. And, you know, I think, you know, I had ridden, I had just ridden beast right before and beast is just as much, much better historically as a ride. I mean, it's, it was the world's first roller coaster over a mile. I think it's, um, uh, it's just an incredible wooden roller coaster, two lift hills way back in the woods. So talk about a roller coaster that you can't see yeah. from the road. That one builds its fame on being so well hidden in the park yet being so it's almost the exact opposite of a B&M hyper. You wouldn't, if you're driving by Kings Island, you would not know it was there. You know? No, definitely not. Kings Island definitely has enough other eye candy though. That's and it just got some more with Orion and, um, I need to get back to that park, no doubt. Um, but speaking of parks, uh, what is your favorite park? I mentioned mine earlier. I said Alton Towers, so I don't need to dive back into that. But do you have, of all, you know, is there one we haven't mentioned yet, or is it one of the ones that's uh, come up in conversation so far? You know, we've we've mentioned a lot, and you know, we can we can bring in a lot more into the equation. I, you know, but but everything for me really does gravitate back towards Cedar Point. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, as, as cheap of an answer as it might sound, you know, it definitely is, is a place that I would say kind of established its spot in my childhood and upbringing, um, Mm -hmm. what generated the interest in me to be able to pursue the passion that I have for it. Um, and then even, you know, from, from the standpoint of, you know, we just talked about, you know, these parks built along the side of the highway that, you know, that position rides so you can see them from the road. Cedar Point doesn't do that. You can't do that, right? It is. Yeah. It is. It's on an island. It is off of the coast of Lake Erie. <laughs> it's, it's positioning is is so fantastic that you you cannot just casually drive past it. Uh, yeah. So that it does build up that anticipation as you're as you're getting close to it. Um and I mean, just, I mean, the, the geography of it in and of itself is fantastic. It, it has a beach, it has, you know, it has multiple hotels on the, you know, on the piece of land that it's on uh, and the marina. And I mean, mm-hmm. all that and the park itself, I feel like, uh, you know, is, is so well designed, so well planned out and nothing like any other park that there is um, that, I mean, it's, it's so big uh, within such a confined space, you pull it up on a map and you're like, this is a sliver of, you know, of land here. Uh, mm-hmm. And they, they get very creative with how they use the land uh, so that they that they aren't running out of space, which is something that people have been saying for decades now that they are. And did I get that wrong? It is an island, right? Or is it technically something different? It's technically a peninsula. Um, okay. Because of the stretch of land called the Chasse, that would okay. alongside it. 
uh, or was built to kind of connect it to the mainland. Um, the causeway, you mean? Is that the same? Is that synonymous? Because that's that's where you really see Cedar Point's epicness. When you're on that causeway, just approaching that park, it is one of those magical magical amusement a park approaches where you're like, I am going to get destroyed today. Highlight, right? <laughs> yeah. So the uh, the chasse is actually separate from the causeway. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So you've got you know you've got the causeway on the west side here that kind of comes in and bends around like that kind of mile and a half curve there. Uh, but that's the general entrance into the park. Um, if you pull up a map, you see this long kind of like diagonal sliver of land that's got this like tiny road on it. There's these houses built alongside it, all up and down it. Um, and then there's like I mean there's just kind of the the basin in between it um, that sort of most people don't know about it. Because it's hmm. not, it's not part of the general access point. Uh, Got it. Yeah. An- another thing I learned today: Cedar Point, not in fact an island. All right. <laughs> there, but there is a chance that 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 stretch of land actually was built to actually turn it from an island into a peninsula. I, I can't remember um, if that is if that is certain or not. I'll have to. I'll have to check one of the books behind me here too. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> well, definitely not a cop out answer. I mean, honestly, if I were to pick a number two or quite frankly tied with Alton Towers for number one, it would be it would be Cedar Point, a park that because you know when I think uh, I I don't want to trash on Six Flags here, but Six Flags just feels really pavementy for lack okay. of a better word. Like you are there to ride roller coasters, and you know that's what you're there to do, but. I don't, depending on the park, it doesn't necessarily have the same beauty as a Cedar Point or a, I mean, certainly not an Alton Towers and things like Nothing that. Nothing is like Alton, except for maybe, I, I think the, the thing that could, the parks that could come closest to Alton Towers would be, I would say, Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. That's what I was going to say too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was going to say as because I, I, that's when I, th- that's why I put six flags in this different category because yeah. like the book, just the nature of a European themed or an African themed park. Like you're, if you're putting the effort into it, it's going to be a pretty nice looking park do, as a result of that. I mean, Williamsburg, the reason why I say that that can contend with it is, is if you look at that natural landscape and like the ravine mm-hmm. through it and like just all that. And then followed by Tampa, which is, in the middle of like the you know the large urban area and what they've done to make it look like you are on safari in Africa is is just uh, just amazing attention to detail. But I, I yeah. 100% respect your uh, your answer of Alton Towers. I mean, uh, you know those those are I would say like second and third, but like there's a nice mm-hmm. gap between there because you you just can't compete with uh, you know with what Alton Towers provides. Yeah, no, you're, I mean, it sounds like our top list is pretty similar, yeah. like Cedar Points, <laughs> the Bush Gardens of the Worlds. Yeah, those are those are making the list. And and all I've got left at this point is the most important question. What is your favorite roller coaster? So this one was an easy one for me, and it's something that is uh, that has been consistent for close to two decades now. And that's Millennium Force at Cedar Point. Um, it uh, I, it was when I, when I worked at Cedar Point, I spent two summers as a ride operator at that ride. Uh, I've ridden it over 160 times, which frankly is low compared to a lot of people. <laughs> How is that low? How is that low? That makes this sound so crazy. On a daily basis when I worked there, you know, 15 years ago. Um, and it's something that, that just always kind of, um, uh, it, it had like a, just a, a special place from, you know, from the moment that it opened, uh, you know, to the first time that I wrote it and, uh, it's, you know, it's, it, it was one of its first of its kind, you know, it was the first giga coaster. So the first over 300 feet, 
Um, and the first with the, the elevator um, cable car instead of the traditional chain lift. The fa- basically the a, a lift hill that was fast is the way I looked at it the first time I wrote it when I was young. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the pacing of it, the, uh, you know, that, that first drop. Um, so when I, when I worked there, I, which is, you know, 2005, 2006, so, you know, 15 years ago, basically, uh, as, as a ride operator, one of the things on the pre-opening checklist that we talked about in our, in our last conversation, um, is having a test ride is you need, you need a, a human, rider for the eyes and ears to make sure that there's no unusual sounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a roller in co- a roller coaster enthusiast turned ride operators dream. Right. Uh, so getting, getting the opportunity to test ride it every single morning before the park opened, you know, being the, first cool. it, the sun's still coming up, you know, from the East, which means that there's this huge shadow on Sandusky Bay. And, you know, I'm, I'm just like, watching myself on the shadow, you know, that, that stretches out that is then mm-hmm. gone by the time the park opens basically, because the way that the, you know, the sun is, is kind of moving its way over the park. And, uh, just having that, that like calm, serene moment every morning of something that is so intense and thrilling. Um, you know, it, it just, I, it, it, you, you can't, um, you really can't explain it unless you've you know fully experienced it and mm-hmm. really nothing else like that. That's a fantastic story. And Millennia, I, I, I was what I, I thought that might be near the top of your list. I wasn't sure if it was going to be number one. I have a similar answer, a similar type of coaster, but definitely not the same story. Um, cause I think it's an, uh, an intimate hyper coaster, uh, Superman at six flags, new England oh, okay. is Horses rival. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was going to say very similar ride. It's, you know, it's a hundred feet shorter, 200 feet tall, but I mean, there's, and, and I'm the same way with craft beer. Also, I feel my opinions about my favorite rides and my favorite beers are very much shaped around the experience that surrounded them. The first time I've ridden it. I've only ridden this ride probably four times. I've only been there once, but I was young um, and I need to give credit to my parents on this. Um, it was funny because the first, you know, I, the the general format for me getting on all these roller coasters when I was young is my mom would plan the outing. My dad was the one responsible for going with me on all the rides. So <laughs> one, <laughs> one of the seasons we had season passes, my mom's family lives in New England. So my dad and I made an excursion to Springfield to go to Six Flags New England. And they're just it, the the ride was still relatively new at that point. It hadn't the name hadn't even be, been changed to Bizarro at that point. I think it's been changed back since then. Yeah. Um but there was like some world renowned coaster enthusiast there that day too. I can't even remember who it was, but it was like a press day around it. And someone was like, yeah, this is like his favorite ride in the world. And I think that might have influenced it a little bit, but you know, talk about a ride that very similar to millennium force has a great drop and excellent pacing throughout the rest of the ride afterwards. I, I have not been, I don't even think millennium force quite has the same spaghetti bowl effect that the end of that ride does is going through some really impressive Double twists, flicks. bunny hops, yeah. tub tunnels. Um, you could probably talk to it more technically than I could, but that is, that's still to this day, just an experience that I can't get out of my mind. Just because, cause I remember the other thing I remember, and this is how I can tell a ride is really good. When people get to the final break run in, as they're going into the station and people are just smiling 
and clapping and cheering. I think that's when you know it's like, wow, this is this isn't just a ride. This is an experience, especially and that's, if it's decades after it opened. You know, you, you know, it's it, it's one thing if it's on opening day, like you get that, mm-hmm. like, that buzz and that like adrenaline kind of fuel. But it's like on a, on a regular day, you know, long after the, you know, the, the champagne period has worn off, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to still see that reaction. For sure. It's a good one. Plenty of I mean, plenty mm-hmm. of crazier rides I've ridden since then. Top thrill dragster for sure. Like there's other stuff that cut that's come out that has a different type of wow factor, but. There are so there are only so many ways you can relive those uh, experiences. So, but I feel like I need to go ride a lot of rides. I've told people once quarantine is done, the first thing I'm doing is back to back days at California's Great America and uh, Six Flags Marine World or whatever it's called now up in up in uh, Discovery Kingdom. That's right. I knew it was also something just as cheesy as Marine World. I don't feel like they really changed it that much. Still same genre, but I'm going to ride every roller coaster there two days in a row. That's the game plan. I hope you do. (laughs) Yeah. So, wow, this has been a great conversation, a long conversation, a great conversation. Is there anything you wish I would have asked you? I, hey, we covered a lot of ground here. I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity not only to be on the podcast, but to just nerd out. You know, glad, uh, glad to know that the coaster enthusiast community is is alive and well in you, right? And uh, being able to to kind of speak the language with the manufacturers and uh, and uh, all the all the trips you've taken and talk about the parks in Europe. I mean, this was. Uh, you know, this was a great conversation. <laughs> we've we've covered some ground, that is for sure. I might I might need to rethink my dreams of originally going into the uh, the roller coaster world and the amusement industry <laughs> at some point. But man, want to know what killed it was having to live in Florida. I'm like, I can't do heat and humidity like that. So yeah, you got to figure it out. You're in Chicago now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Well, all right. For all the manufacturing all-stars out there that have stuck with us, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you back here on Manufacturing Happy Hour real soon. Cheers. Thanks again, Josh. Thank you. Appreciate it. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening. And a big thanks to Josh for sticking around for such a long two-part episode. Make sure to check out his podcast, Attraction Pros. He really does do an incredible job with his co-host over there. And if you like this episode, well, let us know on social media or in a rating and review. If you'd like to have Josh back on the show sometime, I'm sure he'd enjoy it. We had fun. Heck, it was uh, two beers worth of fun throughout the course of this interview in true manufacturing happy hour style. But as fun of a vacation as this was from our regular content, we will be jumping back into our regularly scheduled programming with manufacturing leaders on topics like cybersecurity and Industry 4.0 starting next week. We rattled off a ton of different parks, a ton of different roller coasters. So to access information on the parks and rides that we highlighted, head over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 17 for this bonus content as well as the show notes to the original episode. There you can also find ways to connect with us on social media, as I mentioned before. You can find Manufacturing Happy Hour on Twitter and Instagram at MFG Happy Hour, and you can find Attraction Pros at, you guessed it, Attraction Pros on Twitter. 
Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review for Manufacturing Happy Hour over at iTunes. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to hit that five-star button and leave a written review that is as short as one sentence. It helps put the show on the map, gets eyeballs, or I should say earballs, on the podcast, and finally it gives us the feedback to know what content you want to hear more frequently. With that, this was a fun episode. Thanks for hanging out for so long. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we'll catch you back here on Manufacturing Happy Hour real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.